It's All Songs Considered from NPR Music. I'm Robin Hilton. I'm here with Sydney Madden. Hey, Sydney. Hey, Robin. Uh, so over the next few weeks, uh, the NPR Music team is going to be looking back uh, at the past decade in music, the 2010s. We're going to be looking at like the trends and the themes and moments that define the past decade. And one of the things we've talked about a lot on, on the team is how huge social media became and how much it disrupted everything in the music industry. Mm-hmm. It really lifted things up, but also reconfigured the playing field. It has given so much power to the fan bases that it almost dictates what the artists do. And that includes how they make music, mm-hmm. how they make their living. And it's not just musicians, but also music critics as well. You know, how fans can have so much power on social media that they can end up affecting the way albums and artists are received critically. It's really created something called stan culture or standum. Think of it as fandom on overdrive. So you talked with NPR Music Stephen Thompson and Ann Powers and Joshua Bote uh, of USA Today about this whole phenomenon. Yeah, we had a conversation about it all, the peaks and the pitfalls. And that conversation started with a moment that happened about seven years ago with the artist Amanda Palmer. Here's Stephen Thompson explaining it. In 2012, uh, the singer Amanda Palmer went on Kickstarter to finance an album and raised $1.2 million. And throughout the decade, she has created a relationship with her fans where her fans will send her little bits and ideas and she'll integrate that into her songwriting. That's like, awesome. And it's fascinating to see artists realize, like, I don't necessarily have to sell a million records. If I have 25,000 people who are extremely devoted, that can perpetuate a very, very successful career. You have a bunch of examples throughout the decade of fans getting more and more integrated into artistic output. A couple years ago, a 14-year-old Twitter user using the Twitter handle at Weezer Africa (laughs) um, badgered the band Weezer into covering Toto's Africa. It was this constant little churn of like every time Weezer would tweet something, it'd be like, you know what else? Uh, You know, if you bless the rains down in Africa. (laughs) And it was just a funny little idea that Mm -hmm. just kind of kept percolating on the internet. Weezer finally relents, covers the song, and it's their biggest hit in years and years. Ends up inspiring an entire album of covers and kind of brings Weezer back into the forefront of popular music hit making. So you have these examples of fans kind of working their way into the way artists operate and make their music. More and more musicians are taking ideas from fans. And it's not just using fans' ideas to create music. Some artists have even used fans' ideas to go after other artists. One example I can think of is the rap beef between Drake and Meek Mill back in 2015. I'll spare you all the play-by-plays, but basically, Meek got on Twitter one day and he was complaining that Drake was not helping to promote a song of his. And he even threw some subliminal shots claiming that Drake had a ghostwriter. And this is like, at the time, a cardinal sin in hip-hop. So, instead of starting a Twitter beef back and forth, Drake drops a diss song called Back to Back. Yeah. Going back to back, I got the drink in me going back to back. Yeah, I'm going back to back. I don't want to hear about the seven again. 
was a sellout event. Oh, you need better seating. I didn't wanna do it, gave me every reason. The point I'm trying to make is I don't ever need them. Seen what you do for fame or what you do for freedom, please. Check them for a while or a earpiece, please. Please do not let these niggas nail me, please. Think before you come for the great one, please. Who's a real nigga and who ain't one, please. And what happened in this rap beef is truly a bellwether for stan culture and internet culture in the new decade in general. It's the first time a rap beef was aided and really carried into new territory by the internet. Because what happened is... Every lyric of the song became a meme. Fans created memes to kind of gas up the beef. And then it just became a feedback loop of making fun of Meek Mill, you know? And then after Drake held his annual festival, OVO Fest in Toronto, and what he did is he basically made a PowerPoint of all the memes and performed the song while the memes played in the background. And by the end of the year, this song, which was basically a SoundCloud freestyle, taking down Meek Mill, it was nominated for a Grammy. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just think about that, guy. But you know what? There's another side to this, too, where social media can turn the peanut gallery into a group with a mob mentality. If a fan is offended by something an artist does or something that a critic says, they'll motivate and they'll go after that critic or that artist. And Joshua, I know as a trending reporter, you've had a lot of experience in watching this, covering it. Yeah. One of the biggest examples to me was this writer. Her name was uh, Hania Angus. She's this British writer. She's an Ariana Grande fan. And earlier this year when Seven Rings came out, She was a fan, but then she tweeted out a slightly critical comment just about how Ariana Grande exploits or, you know, borrows from Black culture sort of liberally. And all these fans came for her, like, in mass. So what was it specifically about this song that garnered that criticism? It's the trap cadences that she borrows, the production value of it, the incorporation of lyrics about buying hair. Mm. And she's not a black woman. Just very specific insinuations of black culture that she doesn't lay claim to. So that's what the critic pointed out. That's what the critic pointed out. The thing is, like, any sort of criticism will have stands coming at your throat to the point where you yourself will be canceled, not so much the artist that you're trying to critique. You know, what's interesting, Joshua, from what you're saying is how the critic in that case uh, felt the need to constantly reiterate that she is a fan. You know, I Mm -hmm. am a fan. That's a totally different attitude about being a critic than what people shared in the kind of glory days of pre-internet music writing. Um, It used to be that the critic was supposed to always be a little adversarial or at least uh, you know have a perspective that was different but now I myself feel this uh, you know you have to say oh no no but I'm a fan but you know (laughs) it's become uh, its own tragic meme. The power dynamic is the thing that really gets to me that Ariana Grande who has a billion fans at her disposal can throw her weight down on one critic and something really similar happened to Nicki Minaj Last year, she dropped the song Chun-Li off her album Queen, 
And this critic, Juana Thompson, she's a huge Nicki Minaj fan, like a stan almost. And she wrote a small critique of her song and Nicki Minaj tweeted at her and all the barbs came at her neck. Essentially, being a stan has really big ramifications in real life. Yeah, in if we're going to talk about the most recent history of this <laughs> and something like this happened to you. Yeah, I wrote a, a piece about Lana Del Rey and her most recent and quite amazing album, which I love, <laughs> Norman <laughs> Effing Rock. You're a big fan. <laughs> uh, I'm a fan. And mm-hmm. um, it was published all that afternoon. I received some lovely complimentary feedback from fellow writers. And then literally as I was just preparing to lay down for my night of sleep, I look one more time at my phone and there's two tweets from Lana Del Rey uh, objecting to the piece, uh, saying I really didn't get her, making some specific objections, which, uh, you know, my heart sunk a little bit. I wanted this artist to appreciate the fact that I appreciated her. And I also thought, Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm sure this will go I, fine. I know. So, so indeed, uh, for quite a while afterward, my Twitter feed became a scroll of people responding and standing up for Lana. But, you know, I have to say, there were just as many people... Uh, saying, hey, I read this piece. It actually wasn't negative. Maybe, Lana, maybe you should read it more thoroughly. Um, I felt it was a constructive uh, discussion. It was very overwhelming, however. And I think that is another thing to think about when we're thinking about stand culture, because a question someone might have from the outside, you know, someone who's not involved in popular culture in this way is, well, why is it such a big deal so some people are saying stuff about you on your Twitter feed. It has real life effects. Absolutely. And but, sometimes it can even get into dangerous territory where the stands can organize and find your home address or start address. tweeting right. yeah. um, or start posting photos of you or your child or significant other. They can really tap into your entire life and livelihood. But I think the thing is what people don't understand people who may look at a situation like this and say, well, words can't hurt you. Fandom has become this public stance that cannot be contained in the way it could be in the past, and it has a wider reach than anything fans have been able to do before. And our conversation about social media and the rise of stand culture in the 2010s will continue right after this short break. It's All Songs Considered. Support for this podcast and the following message come from American Mensa the high IQ organization that offers intellectual stimulation and a place to socialize with smart people like yourself. Your high intelligence is the passport to compelling Mensa groups, events, and publications. If you think you may be eligible for membership, take Mensa's admission test or qualify using one of 200 other supervised tests that are accepted. Visit AmericanMensa.com join to take the next step today. It's All Songs Considered. We're looking back at the birth and rise of Stan culture in the 2010s with USA Today's Joshua Bote, NPR Music's Sydney Madden, Ann Powers, and Stephen Thompson. And when we're talking about this particular decade, it has felt like the convergence of the rise of these particular social media platforms with the fact that there is now, and this has been going on for a while, but there is so much music flooding 
into our lives at, at, all times. at all times. I'm not really writing a lot of negative reviews. Omission is how I pan something, right? It has gotten to the point where I think a lot of artists hear mostly positive feedback from critics because yeah. there's just so much stuff to write about that it's easier to celebrate this and advance the stuff that you love. Now, artists have been thin-skinned for mm-hmm. millennia, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but fewer artists are really conditioned to experiencing criticism. And even somebody as relentlessly wonderful as Lizzo, (laughs) she popped off really angrily on Twitter in response to a fairly middling review. And well-considered review, too. Yeah, and, and was very, very angry about it. And I was like, man, what's with this? Oh, it's not to suggest that Lizzo has not heard negativity, but hasn't necessarily experienced a lot of negativity from critics. And I think that has made it, again, another element that has made it harder to have like a nuanced critical conversation. But there are examples of the fans or the stands going at the artists themselves. Mm-hmm. One example I can point out is the Beehive. Back in, I want to say it was 2015, Beyonce, she was dropping tidbits that she was going to make this huge announcement, and she goes on Good Morning America, and she announces she's trying veganism. <laughs> right. Not an album, not a tour, I'm not sorry. a clothing line, not a fragrance, not a this not a four years veganism. ago, I'm sitting here lighting a torch. Right. <laughs> right. I was, I was hot that day, because I do not watch Good Morning America. I tuned in for her. To, to learn she's plant-based now, cool. Great, Beyonce. But anyway, after hinting that, it, it was supremely pissed off the beehive. And her album sales actually dipped a little bit that week because of it. So it, there are tangible results. And when the wrath of fans gets so great and it starts to really impede on what the artist can do and how well the artist's um, music does, that really channels itself into cancel culture. Yeah, Cancel culture is just this phenomenon where if an artist, whether it be a musician or comedian or whoever does something problematic, they get deemed canceled. And, you know, that means that they like people won't consume their art anymore. People won't buy their songs or their albums or whatever. One that really sticks to me from last year was this artist Doja Cat. She released this viral trending song called Moo. Mm-hmm where she raps about being a cow. It's really funny. Months later, fans dug up her old tweets and found all these homophobic things, things that, you know, were really derogatory towards specifically Earl Sweatshirt and Tyler, the creator. And Doja Cat didn't take that well. She clapped back saying, like, I was young, like, these words don't mean anything. And the wrath of fans really came back to bite her. I've said this before. I think cancel culture disproportionately claims women artists more than men. Um, Another big song last year was Sheck West and his song Mo Bamba. That song had a meteoric rise. And even when he was accused of domestic violence from a former girlfriend and there was video to back it up, it didn't matter. It's like nothing could stop that song. So there's a varying degree of who does and does not get canceled and what what warrants cancellation. That's a great point, Sid. Um, These gestures, they're not 
totally dismantling the master's house, to quote Audre Lorde. They're not taking apart a system that's long favored male artists in lots of ways. We can speak on that. That's a whole different podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's another edition of this podcast. But I also want to stand up for what some may consider an outdated concept in 2019, which is free expression. I think that while I absolutely don't support any isms or bigotry or hate in any way, I do think that music and all forms of art, it's a crucial arena for us to confront uh, challenging and, and even, yes, even transgressive attitudes and impulses within people. And I, I do worry a little bit about the righteousness, the self-righteousness of some of this cancel culture. Well, self, self-righteousness is free speech, too. It's not a right to free speech without consequences. That's true. Uh, but the very concept of cancel silences. That's my problem with it. It doesn't engage. It silences. And that's Ann Powers, uh, along with Stephen Thompson and Joshua Bote and Sid, you, uh, talking about the ways that social media, like for better or worse, has completely disrupted the relationships between fans and artists. And Mm -hmm. I I guess the question now is where does this leave us? It's really hard to say. I mean, especially since we're still in the thick of it. And it's hard to say how much the whole model could be disrupted or broken or expanded again, you know. But one thing's for sure, the genie is out of the bottle. And that said, it's possible we could see the equivalent of a market correction. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's we've seen this with so many other social media sites, even like something like MySpace or Facebook, which has kind of taken a hit in recent years, which there's a big wave of popularity and then there ends up being some sort of backlash. Users drop off mm-hmm. and, you know, things kind of... The attrition of, rate. Right, just it, sh- they just start... And everything kind of calms down and hopefully settles in a good place. Yeah, and users peel away and it kind of like... It l- allows for a reset sometimes for it to get... For the place and the community to get back to core values. You know what I mean? I want to say I'm optimistic about the future of stan culture and fandom online. I see really positive notes in fan communities now of certain artists. And I feel like if we just keep promoting that behavior and that ethos within these little communities, it's going to be okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Sydney. Thank you, Robin. And from NPR Music and All Songs Considered, I'm Robin Hilton. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club where every bottle tells a story and NPR shows become wines like Weekend Edition Cabernet Sauvignon. Available to adults 21 years or older. Learn more at nprwineclub.org.